0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Happy Sunday. Happy second Sunday of Lent. We're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time, we are certainly glad you've tuned in and especially would ask you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner, or you can leave a comment here in the chat window just to the side if you'd like, just to let us know who you are and maybe how we could pray for you, or if there's a question that you might have that we could answer. And we certainly hope it's not your last time. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you, and we're grateful too that you found time today to be part of our online experience here at Linden Road. We would also invite you to use either the link or leave a comment here in the video on how we could pray for you or if you have a question. So we invite you to do that. As we lean into this week, a couple things I want to share. First, we had the great opportunity last Wednesday, about 22 of us to go see the premiere of Jesus Revolution. And if you've not seen that movie yet, we heartily endorse it and would encourage you to go see it. It's kind of cool that as a a movie, it finished in its first week of showing at number three, which is a great thing for a Christian film. And as I understand it, they've already recovered their costs, and now they're going to be pushing it out. And it's just a great story. We did have a great time with a couple dozen of us that went, got our popcorn, and had a great seats, and met a couple new friends. And it was just cool to be in the theater and just hear a positive story of uh, redemption and restoration. And so cool to be a part of that. Would invite you to take some time this week and go to the theater and see it. and Would certainly be interested in your thoughts after you've seen it. And also, we want to share that is, this is the first week of the March of Prayer. Uh, we are hosting it here uh, at Linden Road on uh, Tuesday evening. So you could be in prayer for that. Uh, one of the things that we're doing this year that is new, this is the fifth year for it, is we are raising awareness for what is being called the Jericho Wall, uh, recovery and remembrance. And so in partnership with a number of organizations here in the community, we are going to be creating a wall uh, near the downtown area that will be a wall where people who have lost their loved ones due to the issue of addiction, we will be creating a very unique space uh, to honor them but also to raise awareness and also to help people process through just the loss of a loved one tragically that way. And so check out this video from my uh, kingdom ally and friend, uh, Paul Lintern.
1: Man, this is an ugly wall. It's broken, it seems, it, it doesn't look very solid, and yet what if, what if this whole space became a place of comfort, of hope, of education, and of remembering the people who have been victims of addiction in our community over the last several years. What if this became a place called a wall of remembrance and recovery, in which you could come here and see artwork that is inspiring, to hear stories, to recognize names of people that you know. What if this were called the Jericho wall? You know, the Jericho, Wall is the walls that come tumbling down from the Bible. Well, only God can tumble those walls. This wall is not coming down in that way. This wall is going to help tumble the worries, the fears, the sadness, the brokenness that is restored only by our Lord. And so, look at this. Look at this wall, and imagine what it can be. The surface, the wall, the fence—all calling remembrance and recovery. The Jericho wall. Now you can have a part in this, because by the end of this summer, this will be a spectacular place. And the funding that we get through your gifts and through uh, those who are have an active interest in this will make this happen. Uh, you can look on the website and see what our what 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 the details are, and you'll see more and more as we go along. But we have a plan, and you will want to be part of it. I hope you will.
0: So I hope that gives you some sense and if you'd like to be a part of this there is a link here in the worship notes to the website and you can make a gift online if you'd like or there's also a place where you can send the check or if you'd like to send a check here to Linden Road we'll make sure it gets there but we think it's going to be a huge testimony to what God has done and what he will do in the life of those that are broken and far from Christ you would see if you hopped on the Facebook page Since we started the March of Prayer, there's already been great testimonies of how people found wholeness and restoration from their addiction through who Jesus is and what he offers, and so we want to encourage that. So again, hope you'll pray for all that's involved there. We're beginning a new series this week called Circle Maker. This will take us all the way up to Easter. And as we're in this, it's based upon a book called The Circle Maker, which actually you may have heard me mention here that we are doing a 40-day challenge through a book that comes from The Circle Maker called Draw the Circle, and would invite you to be part of that. It is day 12. For this experience, it's not too late. If you go to our website, there's a link there on the front page that will take you to the past two weeks worth of videos and would encourage you to lean into that. You don't need the book to participate. Uh, You can lean into it with the book, but would encourage you to continue to walk with us in this season. But the story that we're looking at uh, comes to us about 100 years before uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, The Jewish prophets had died off And it's a time where things are complicated for God's people. And we meet the story of a gentleman by the name of Hani. Now, the story actually comes out of this great thick book here called The Book of Legends. Uh, It's uh, the legends from the Talmud and the Midrash, which is a collection of Jewish stories. It's about a 900-page book. And on page 284, we meet a gentleman by the name of Hani. We know that when rain is plentiful, we don't really think about it. In fact, on Friday, it was a crazy downpour here in the Mansfield area. Uh, But we also know that when there's a drought, the exact opposite happens. We become very concerned. As we begin reading this story about Hani, it begins by him drawing a circle. He ends up standing inside this circle on the ground that he had drawn, and he says this, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. This prayer is all sorts of things. It's resolute, and yet there's a humble nature to it. There's a sense of confidence that he has, but at the same time, he's very meek, and as he comes before the throne of grace, as we say, and at the same time also, I believe he's expectant, and yet unassuming that how it's going to turn out. And then what happens? Well, as the raindrops fall from heaven, Hani keeps his head bowed, and The people are rejoicing around him, but with each drop, uh, it's interesting that Hani knew there could be more. And while he's still kneeling inside the circle, he lifts his uh, voice again. Amongst everyone else's celebration, he offers this prayer. He says, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. And as he prays that, the story is told that the sprinkle uh, that ends up turning into a torrential downpour... The eyewitnesses there, as is written, said there was no raindrop that was smaller than an egg in size, and it rained so heavy and so steadily that people became fearful and they fled to the temple mount to escape the flash floods. And yet, Hani stayed and prayed inside that circle. And then he adds another request. He says, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Well, what's interesting as the story is told here is that it moves from the torrential downpour to a peaceful and calm kind of rain. It is as though each raindrop was, as the writer says, a token of God's grace. It wasn't something that was soaking their skin. It actually encouraged their spirit and their faith. And as it's marked in this great ancient literature, it is forever remembered as a day that God showed up, that the day that uh, jumping across puddles of water was uh, an act of praise and worship. It was a day that the legend of the circle maker was born. So on this day that the legend of the circle maker was born, to be honest, the day before had been very difficult to believe that God would show up, and yet the day after that day, it was impossible not to believe. Hani was celebrated as a hometown hero by the people whose lives he had saved. But then, of course, typically as these things go, when God shows up, those that don't quite understand it become very critical. And so the Sanhedrin, they ended up calling the circle maker and all that he experienced into question, to which some people believed that the drawing the circle and praying that kind of demanding prayer, somehow that uh, dishonored God. Now, I can't help but wonder if it might have been the same families of Jewish leaders that then would have criticized Jesus for all that he did. On, For example, when he healed the, the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. The truth is, these religious leaders, they threatened Hani with excommunication, but because they couldn't repudiate the miracle because of what be, people experienced, Hani was ultimately honored for his act of uh, prayerfulness. And truthfully, the that prayer saved a generation and it could have probably been one of the most significant prayers in that recent time for the nation of Israel. And the idea of the circle in the sand became a sacred symbol. And then this idea of who Hani is, it stands forever as a testament or a testimony to the power of a single prayer that can change the course of history. We know since that time the earth has circled the sun thousands of times. And yet I want to suggest that in this current day, that God is still looking for those of us who are willing to draw circles and trust him and ask for him to show up in so many different ways. And so, as the truth is from the story of Hani, I think it's very true today, is that bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. So I believe, as Mark Batterson lays out here in his book, that these truths, ancient truths and legends from Hani, are as very much true for us today, where this idea of bold prayers honor God, and that God honors bold prayers. And the truth is, too, I believe, and I've seen this and experienced this with others as they lean into praying for God's presence, is that God isn't offended by our biggest dreams or our boldest prayers. In fact, that's what he wants. I might even suggest that he is offended if we don't pray, that if our prayers aren't impossible to us, they're insulting to God where we need him to show up, because it means that we need divine intervention. We need God to be part of our, our life journey and our experience. Or the crazy story of how he causes a an axe head, an iron axe head, to float. The truth is we see God showing up in the way that only he can through his uh, omnipotence and his power. And I think, too, as I'm leaning into this, that there's nothing God loves more than keeping his promises and to answering the prayers and to performing miracles and to fulfilling our dreams. That is who he is. And that is also what he does. And so I want to suggest, as I'm leaning into this with you, is that the bigger the circle we draw, the better it gets because God gets more of the glory. And so the greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when our human impotence, if you will, meets up with divine omnipotence, that big word where these two things intersect. Because when they intersect, we draw a circle around the impossible situations in our lives, and we invite God in to intervene and to show up in the way that only He can. And so this much we know to be true is that God is ready and waiting. I have no idea what you're walking through, where you find yourself today, but this much I'm confident about is that you are only one prayer away from God showing up and fulfilling a dream or a promise or even performing a miracle. And to say very clearly and to remind all of us in this season as we walk towards Lent with our own brokenness, right? Our own uh, fragile nature of being human from the dust that we've come to the dust we shall be returning is also be reminded that God rescues us, that God is for you, that God delights in you and that God wants a relationship with you and that he sent Jesus to establish that fact. And if we don't operate from the strength of that position, that God is for us, then the kinds of prayers that we pray are small prayers. They're maybe even what we would call timid prayers. Yet if we do believe, then we, as Batterson has encouraged us in the last week of this uh, Draw the Circle, is that it's about big and audacious prayers. And it's also understanding that when we move from praying small prayers to big prayers, that it can actually change the way we do life. It can change our whole perspective on what God is doing in and through us. Now, I'll admit, uh, one of the things that Mark says in the book is that he this idea that prayers are prophecies, and I know uh, for some of us we struggle with that, the idea of a prophetic word, but really what he's saying here is that it's the best predictor of our spiritual future. Basically what he's saying is that who we are is determined by how we pray and what we pray about. And if we would take and make a transcript of our prayers, it can be the script of our lives. Uh, And I don't think any of us feel like we've prayed too much, if anything, even last week as we were doing the small group here at the church for our connection group before worship. As we leaned into the first chapter of the study of Draw the Circle, it was interesting, everyone admitted as we went around the table that our problem is we don't pray enough. And we don't pray with a fervency and with a conviction that God's going to show up which also means that we never pray prayers that are too powerful. We are always timid, I think, in how we do that. And that affects, then, how we walk in faith. Even from my own story as coming to Linden Road here, Melinda and I were on a spiritual retreat. We were gone for a week, and as we came back, found out that my employment at another church had been basically terminated, although we hadn't had the hard conversation, but then realized after getting home that on Monday I was unemployed, I would have a month to figure things out, uh, and that was very shocking. So when I think about how God uh, opened the doors, and then within literally uh, two weeks, the process began for me to be called here to be the pastor at Linden Road, not knowing any of the craziness that we have stepped off into over these past nine years, and yet seeing God's faithfulness and how God has worked through you here online as well as others to continue to give testimony to what God's doing. Now, let's take a look here at a story out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Joshua, chapter six, verses one through 16. Let's begin reading. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once, and then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So a little context here. This wall, in fact there's two walls. The outer wall or the lower wall is about six foot wide, and then behind it is a 50 foot high upper wall. Now it sat on about 12 acres within the city, And from all appearances, it looked as though there was no way anybody was gonna get into this. It was an impregnable fortress. But what's interesting here is it seemed like God had promised something impossible and his battle plan seemed nonsensical. If you were Joshua and the team, it's like, why are you kidding me, this is what we're gonna do? Specifically, the command is the army's supposed to march around the city once a day and do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're supposed to march around it seven times. Now, when you think about this, there's all sorts of things that come to mind. Why didn't they just use a battering ram and knock down the front gate? Or why didn't they throw up some ladders and scale the wall? Or why didn't they just cut off the water supply and eventually you know, force them out that way? Or maybe even shoot some flaming arrows over the wall. But that's not how God worked. In fact, God tells the Israelite army to silently circle the city. And he promised, after circling it 13 times over these seven days, that the wall would fall. Now, you can imagine as these men marched around the city. Uh, They probably felt a little foolish on that first day, but I'm gonna guess by day three, they were a little more confident and by six, they really grew with a sense of anticipation of what was gonna happen tomorrow on the seventh day. That literally with each circle, there was a sense of a holy confidence, you might say, that was building up in them about what God was going to do. It was giving them great encouragement in their souls so that by that seventh day, their faith was ready to pop. It was ready to see what God was going to do. Can you imagine as they gathered there at 0600 AM as the sun's coming up, that they walked uh, methodically around the city as they had done the previous six days? They had to walk about a mile and a half, took them about a half hour with each circle. So by the time they get there, it's 9 AM, they begin their final lap. And what's amazing here in the story is that in keeping with God's command, They hadn't said a word up to this point in the previous six days. They just silently circled the promise. And then the priests sounded their horns on that seventh day after the seventh trip, and everyone shouted, and then what happens? The wall falls down. I mean, can you imagine hearing the voice of some 600,000, more than half a million people, raise a holy roar that had to register on the Richter scale, and especially when the walls came tumbling down? And so after seven days of circling the city of Jericho, God delivers on a 400-year-old promise. He proved one thing for sure, and I think this is really encouraging, is that his promises don't have expiration dates. It's about our faithfulness, that what he promises he will bring to fulfillment. It just may not be in our time and in our economy. But also, this idea of Jericho, that as a city, as the walls, that they stand and they fall as a simple truth to what God says, is that if you keep circling the promises, that God is ultimately gonna deliver on it. So let's get real practical here in a moment as we've leaned into this, those of us that are doing the 40-day challenge, as we think about what we're drawing circles around, let me ask you, what is your Jericho? Because you see, this story is just a picture of what God wants to do in our lives. It reveals the way God performs, and it also establishes a pattern for us that we should follow. Now, it also challenges us to confidently circle the promises that God has given to us. And it does force us to ask the question of each other, what is your Jericho? What promise are you praying around? Or, or what miracle are you marching around? Or what dream does your life revolve around? What are your hopes? What are your aspirations based upon what you think God has called you to do and be? And so as we draw the circle, it first of all begins with us identifying our Jericho And I'll have to be honest, even on this day 12, I'm still struggling with what is my Jericho specifically. I have some ideas, I've penciled them down in my journal, but I'm still not clear. And yet that's part of my drawing the circles to be faithful that God will show up in those moments to help me better understand what he's calling me to be and do. The whole point of this is that you've got to define the promises of God that we want to stake claim to, the miracles that God wants us to believe for and in, and then even the dreams that God wants us to pursue. What do we want to chase? No matter where we are in life, whether we're a student, a young person, or, or in a season of life of retirement and everything in between, what is God asking us to do? And so for each of us, it's this idea of circling it until God gives what he wants and what he wills. And that's the ultimate goal. Now, we talked about this last week, too, in the small group, is that here's the problem, that most of us don't get what we want simply because we don't know what we want. Uh, that we've never really circled the promises of God, that we've never written down a list of life goals, we've never defined success for ourselves, and our dreams are as uncertain as the clouds are in the sky. So instead of drawing circles, we end up drawing blanks. So there's another interesting story here. About a 1,000 years after the Jericho miracle, another miracle happened in the same exact place. It's with Jesus. He was on his way out of Jericho, In fact, here in Matthew chapter 20, it's written, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked him and told them to be quiet, and they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, What do you want me to do for you? he asked. Now, the disciples and those around sort of see these two men as a real... Uh, kind of interruption, messing with the plans. And yet Jesus takes it on as a divine appointment. Yet what does he do? He asks this very pointed question, what do you want me to do for you? Wow, that's quite a question. Seriously? I mean, seriously, was that question even necessary? I mean, of course, these guys are blind, right? It makes perfect sense. And yet Jesus forced them, these two men, to find out exactly what they wanted from him. Jesus made them verbalize their desire. He made them spell it out. But it wasn't because he didn't know. It wasn't because he didn't know what they wanted. He wanted them to make sure they knew what they wanted. And that is where drawing a prayer circle begins, knowing what to circle. So again, getting really practical here, here's the question. What if Jesus asked you this very same question? What if he showed up sitting here next to us and said, what do you want me to do for you? Well, Would you be able to spell out that promise or the miracle or the dream that you're looking for? What is it that God's put in your heart? I have to confess that many of us, me included, would probably be dumbfounded in the moment because I think when we really think about what it is that we desire, that we don't know what we want God to do for us. And if we can't answer this, then we're as spiritually blind as the blind men were physically. So to be reminded that while God is for us, most of us are living in a season of sure what we want God to do for us. And that's why our prayers aren't just boring to us, they are really uninspiring to our God. And if faith is being sure of what we hope for, as Paul tells us, then being unsure of what we hope for is the antithesis, right? It's the exact opposite. So a well-developed faith results in a well-defined prayers and well-defined prayers. And like the two men, the two blind men, we need to encounter Jesus. That's where we've been walking, I would suggest, over these many months. It's about your personal encounter with him. Because obviously the answer to this question, it will uh, change over time in the seasons of life we are in. We need different miracles during different seasons of life. We get the opportunity to pursue different dreams that God brings to us as we walk through life, as we walk from child to adult, and then into maturity. And yet in all those stages of life, and yet we need to stake a claim to the different promises in these different situations that we find ourselves in. So it's sort of a moving target, but you have to start somewhere. And so that's why we're doing this right now. And for many of us, we read the Bible on a regular basis, but it's not about just reading the Bible. It's about circling the promises we find in Scripture. And it's not about just making a wish, but where we actually write down a list of life goals. And I want to share here a handout. There's a link here in the worship notes and here on the screen of, of things that maybe should be on your list of life goals, at least to consider. And this is a list to sort of prime the pump, to get your mind to think about what it is that you should be mapping out for yourself in this current season. Or maybe you need to keep a prayer journal. Maybe that's what we need to do, as Mark Batterson has encouraged us in the 40-day challenge, is to be writing down in a very uh, faithful way what it is God is doing so that you can define out your dream, that you can actually claim your promise, and you can spell out your miracle. Again, too, for us as a family, for Melinda and I, I, I think of the adoption of our son, Jed, of just all how God showed up in so many crazy ways, and it's a crazy story, and in the midst of us not knowing, as we started out not knowing we could have children. Uh, And then Sarah came and and we were blessed with her. And then as we leaned into uh, coming back to the adoption process, through the encouragement of our social worker, Cindy, and and walking through that, and there was a number of miscarriages in there, and it's all complicated, and yet God knew uh, what we could be and could offer. In the midst of our brokenness, uh, Jed was actually born to uh, his, biological mother and then the beauty of what comes to that for us as husband and wife uh, and as we welcome him into our family and then uh, God's sense of humor that as we finalize his adoption we find out we're pregnant with our amazing third child Emma. It's such a crazy thing and yet that's how God shows up. It's the idea of claiming his promises that he is for us. Now it is also this idea of, of drawing prayer circles So I want to drill down to even a more practical level and sort of the challenge this week as you lean into uh, this first week of hearing this story from the Circle Maker is to pray with more specificity and even with more consistency and to do that by using a prayer journal. And just mark out a couple things that you can put down on paper so that you can see what God's doing as you uh, follow along in this journey currently that if we write down our prayers, we actually give God the opportunity uh, to get the glory when he answers them. And it also forces us to be more defined in our prayers. And that's why we're doing this 40-day prayer journey through Draw the Circle. And so it's all about experimenting with what God would do with our time of prayer. One of the examples that Mark gives us, and I think it's a, a great thing to ponder, is this idea that there is a difference between praying for something and praying through something. Uh, there are certainly circumstances where praying for something will get the job done, but there's also situations in our life where we need to grab a hold of the horns, as Mark says, of the altar, and to refuse to let go until God answers. And so, like honey, basically, we refuse to, to move from the circle until God moves, that we pray and intercede until God intervenes, and that also this idea of praying through not just four, is about consistency. It's about circling Jericho so many times that it makes you dizzy. Like the story Jesus told about the persistent widow who drove the judge crazy with her relentless requests because praying through doesn't take no for an answer. What Mark wants us to see, and as he tells the story of Hani, is that it's the circle makers who know that it's always too soon to quit praying because you never know when the wall's about to fall. Always only one prayer away from God showing up. But then also, the second point here, that praying through is also about intensity. Now, it's not quantitative, it's qualitative. That the idea of drawing prayer circles involves more than words. It's gut-wrenching groans and heart-breaking tears. That's what we heard about the Asbury outpouring, was this incredible prayers that took place at the front of the church, I heard that There was some group of men that on the first couple days heard about it initially, jumped in a van, drove nine hours to do nothing more than to pray at the altar there and experience God in a fresh new way. And then they turned around and left and went home because they just knew that that's what they needed to do. That's kind of crazy, but it's about leaning into that. Because you see, when we talk about drawing prayer circles, it is more than these words. It, It really is about coming before God and letting him know our heart and our concerns and our desires. That the idea is that praying through doesn't just bend God's ear, it it actually touches his heart and engages him in a whole new, different way. So I know for most of us, and it's this thing especially as we think about our tradition as Presbyterians, when was the last time any of us cut off the circulation to our knees as we bowed before God? Or... When was the last time that we pulled an all-nighter in prayer? Because you see, that's what it's going to take. And it doesn't mean that we literally have to do those things, but it's that kind of attitude towards this, the position or the posture, if you will. We know this much from the promises of Scripture, there are higher heights and deeper depths in prayer, and God wants us to go there, and that God wants to take us there, that he wants to take us places that we've never been before. There's new dimensions, there's new understanding, And if we want God to do something new in our life, in our church's life, in our community's life, in the capital C church's life, then we can't do the same old thing. And so again, I encourage you in the days ahead, as we journey together, jump into this 40 day prayer challenge, lean into it in a way that will encourage you and encourage us so that we can start circling. Let's pray. God, I am grateful for this opportunity that we can draw circles together and individually, on how you will show up. We trust you for the promises that you've made clear and we pray with expectancy of what you'll do. And so Holy Spirit, guide us. Jesus, give us direction and purpose. Father, thank you for your love that you've demonstrated through all these things and we pray it in your strong name, amen.